A lot of times, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you, you kind of forget over time how you've come to the identity that you have come to. And we're talking about our identities being stolen, and we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, and we'll keep talking about it for several more weeks. But, but one of the things that, that, as I looked at this passage of Scripture that we'll study today, uh, one of the things that just, it kind of came to me, and, it, and as I looked at it, I thought about it, is, is that a lot of times, it's really hard for us to even think about where our identities came from because we've had them for so long. And for non-Christians, when I talk about like reclaiming your identity in Jesus, it's like, well, I'm fine with my identity because you've never known anything else. And so it's hard for you to, to go, wait a minute, my identity's been stolen and you're up there talking about creation, but I wasn't there, you know? And so how can I really see a difference in my life? And for Christians especially Christians uh, like myself who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes it's hard to celebrate the identity that we have in Christ and to, Christ and to, to think about it and to be happy about it and, and to uh, get pumped up about it because you've just been a Christian a long time and you don't remember even what you were like or who you were really before you became a Christian. And I think that we all struggle with this and a lot of people don't become Christians because well this is just who I am and it's who I'll always be and a lot of people don't really get excited about their Christianity anymore because well I've just been this person for a long time and had these benefits for a long time and I've had this new identity for a long time and so it's not that exciting anymore and I think what we'll see today is that the way we break free from this is by remembering focusing on thinking about what it took for us to get a new identity. The sacrifice, I'll just get right to the point, that Jesus made for us to be able to have our new identities. Last week we talked about uh, this kind of elusive idea that all of us, I think, feel and, and um, have at different points that, that I'm just not good enough. That feeling that kind of drives our identities that, well, I'm just, I'm not good enough. And we talked about how in Christ... Being a Christian can fix that problem because Paul showed us that in Christ we are chosen and in Christ we have been picked and in Christ God kind of lavishes his blessings on us and in Christ we are adopted, which is kind of the ultimate form of, of being chosen. Karen Brace told us a story at our Connect group last week actually uh, about her uh, being adopted and she said that, that it was just a person going down a line of babies and then just choosing her. And, and, and we kind of say, well, you must have been the cutest baby in the world or something, you know? And, and that's, that's, it's like she was chosen and, and that sermon mattered and kind of connected in a way that it can't connect with, with those of us who hasn't been adopted because we don't know like just that choosing, but, but it matters to be chosen. And so God showed us that that kind of feeling of not good enoughness can be erased in Christ. But what can happen especially if we've been a Christian a long time, is that something kind of switches inside of us and we start to think things like, well, I don't struggle with that not good enoughness. Look what I've done. Look who I've become. Look at me. I'm kind of awesome. And all, I mean, God picked me and not you, you sucker, you know? I mean, and we start, what happens, I think, and, and you see this really clearly when you look at, you know, Christians who get in the media and things like that. You start to see this self-righteous 
attitude. We talk about that. I mean, a lot of people, if, they, if you ask them to identify, you know, what makes a Christian a Christian, some type of self-righteousness language would get involved in the conversation. And the reality is, over time, if we don't remember why we have a new identity in Christ and how we obtained that identity in Christ, then we are just going to be these self-righteous people, persons that go, look what I've done. Look who I am. I am, and you may, you not want to be one of these people, but I think a lot of us struggle with it if, if we are Christians. I'm a little bit better than those other people because I have this new identity and I live out this identity. And, and so I just, I'm a little bit better. Uh, I won't say that out loud and I'll get mad at the people who will say it out loud, but somewhere inside of us, we struggle with that. And we're going to talk about today what kind of makes this identity happen, where it comes from, why we have it. But before we get there, I want to go back to Genesis 3, 7 through 10. And there is the story about the fall of mankind. And we've already talked about the first few verses in Genesis chapter 3. But I think 7 through 10 are really important because they show us what our identity apart from Christ is and, and what it leads to. And they sh it shows us right from the beginning, I think, that, that when sin entered into the world, our identities were immediately taken and shame began to fulfill, full, not fulfill us, to fill us up and to be a part of who we think we are. Genesis 3, 7 through 10. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, right at the beginning, as soon as sin got into the world, people's identities begin to change because shame entered in. I'll just ask this, and, and you already know the answer. You don't need to put your hands up. But how many of you fear, just a little bit maybe or a lot, letting people see who you really, really are? I mean, I think this problem is so big that even the people closest to us, we still guard ourselves from allowing them to see who we really are because we are scared to show people all of ourselves. And that happened as soon as our identities were taken, as soon as they were wrecked, because sin entered into the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And here we sit, thousands of years later, still dealing with that same problem. Still ashamed to show people all of ourselves. Still ashamed to admit who we really are in the deepest core of our being because our identities have been taken. And Paul, I think, is going to help us address this issue, too, in this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is where we'll start. Here's what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Well, that's not the uplifter of an identity theft series, right? I mean, here's what I, I think. I mean, it just seems like it's like Paul can already hear you going, 
oh, I'm a Christian, I have a new identity, I'm a little bit more awesome than the rest of you. It's like Paul can hear that and he pauses in the middle of this this whole kind of book that says, look, this is now who you are in Christ. And he says, oh, by the way, I want to remind you of who you are apart from Christ, who you were apart from Christ. I want you to remember what you used to be. I want you to remember what you naturally were because of the sin in the world and because of the sin in your life. And he starts with dead. Dead here doesn't mean actually dead because that would be a weird thing to write to people. Hey, you're dead. No, wait, I can't read this. You know, I mean, that doesn't work. What dead means in this passage and in many places in the New Testament is simply separation from God. Paul says, look, before you reclaimed your identity in Christ, before you had a new identity in Christ, what you were was somebody who was completely alienated and separated from God. You had no relationship with him. John Calvin said, he, Paul, does not simply mean that we are in danger of death, but he declares that it was as real and present, that it was a real and present death under which they labored. As spiritual death is nothing else than the alienation of the soul from God. We're all born as dead men, and we live as dead men until we are made partakers of the life of Christ. John Calvin, Paul, saying, look, you are totally separated from God. What the Bible declares to us pretty emphatically on several occasion, occasions, is that if we physically die in this life, then we'll experience this same separation forever. We'll have eternal death. The Bible refers to hell uh, as the second death, the second time when we will be separated from God and it will last for eternity. It will be total torment because we will have no interaction with God. And you go, well, that's fine. I'm not a big God person, but I just want you to think about all the things that you benefit from that come from God. A lot of the same things that we talked about in our last sermon series, uh, the hope that we have and the idea that, that God is loving and, and the, the idea that people matter and the idea that, that there should be dignity for mankind because they were created in the, uh, the image of God. It, take all of that and, and take it away and put it somewhere else and, and a world that is godless. Even if you just look at what religion has given to our world and, and, and you don't believe in God at all, but you look at the good things religion has added to the world, even then you have to just admit that, that a godlessness existence is a terrible thing to think about. And Paul says just right up front, look, right now, currently, if you're not in Christ, you're dead. That is who you were before you became a Christian. I want you to say this. Uh, if you're, you can say this if you're not a Christian or you're a Christian. And we did this last week with the good stuff, but, but let, we're just going to start here. Will you say, I was dead? One, two, three. Very good. You were dead before you became a Christian. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this way death came to all people because all sinned. And the next thing that Paul says to us is that before, before you became a Christian, you were simply disobedient, but... The language is a little bit harsher than that because you say, well, I am a Christian and I still am disobedient to God. He actually says this, if you're being more literal, he says, you are a son of disobedience. You were sons of disobedience. You see, it's like this. We didn't just sin apart from Christ. We were sinners. And we talked about that last week, how a lot of these things that oftentimes identify us in the world, uh, sometimes they're just 
should be descriptions of us. And they should be things that can describe us, but not things that define us. But Paul says to us, apart from Christ, before Christ, you were dead. And not only were you dead, you were a son of disobedience. It wasn't a description. It was an identifier. This is who you were. Somebody who was alienated from God because you were a sinner who could not be obedient to God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul uses two words here in our passage to define sin, to talk about sin, to talk about this disobedience. The first is transgressions. And it means a falling aside from right truth or duty. It means that we move away from doing what we ought to do, what we know we should do, what our consciences tell us we should do, what God has told us we should do. And the other idea, the word sin, maybe you've heard that word and you've gone, well, I kind of know it's a Christian thing and it means bad stuff. Uh, But the word uh, means to miss or to fail, and it's often used of missing the mark that God has set for us. And that's what Paul is describing here. He's describing a life, us being people, that could never hit the mark that God has set for us. We have basketball hoops all around us in this gym, and we might as well use them. Uh, and, And it's like this. It's like you are shooting at a hoop, but you can't make it into the hoop Apart from Christ, you can never hit the mark that God has set, the goal you can never live out. The word flesh here, you need to pay attention to it. That's kind of your desires and things that that you want to do that you know you shouldn't do. The world, notice that as well. It's the system kind of that exists. That's how the Bible talks about it. The system that kind of exists that is against God. And, And it's pretty easy to see, right? Because all you have to do is turn on the TV and it seems that, you know, I'm not like saying every producer is bad or every TV show is bad, but there seems to be kind of a system that is against God. My my current show that's gonna, you know this about me, I'm a one show guy. Uh, I can watch one with Bren and then one on my own and then I get too wrapped up in shows so if I had 10 then I could no longer pastor. It would have to be a job and I'd have to figure out a job that would let me watch shows Uh, and I think about them and they get into every sermon Uh, and my current show is Quantum Leap. Anybody? You didn't see that? You don't remember Quantum Leap? I mean, come on, if you're older than me, you should remember Quantum Leap. Uh, And the story, uh, and I'm going to talk more about Quantum Leap in in weeks to come, but the story about a guy who who leaps from one life to another to set rights wrong and to fix things that that were once messed up, great show. Uh, But one of the things that keeps coming up in the show, and I like it, and it's, it's a better show than a lot of shows that are out there today, especially... But constantly throughout, they're trying to figure out a reason to disprove the supernatural. Even though there are things that are obviously supernatural, he says throughout, well, you know, come on, I I don't believe in that, or there has to be a logical explanation. And you can see what Paul describes as the world trying to make its imprint. Look, it's not about God, it's not about Satan, it's about the natural world, and you see the system at work. And then Paul talks about uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is a weird reference for Satan. And I think it will make more sense when we get into chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, where Paul talks about these spiritual forces that are at work. But I think it's just a way of saying Satan's ruling place, and Satan does have a ruling place on this earth that will come to an end when Jesus comes back. And, and so here's what Paul is saying. He just wrapped these things up. There's three forces that are at work in your life before you become a Christian. Your flesh, 
You know, you just want to do stuff because you know it'll feel good, but you know you shouldn't, and then you kind of do it anyway. That's the flesh at work. The system of the world that says, go ahead and do it anyway. You've heard of peer pressure. Peer pressure is just part of the world system, making you do things that, that you shouldn't do, that you know you shouldn't do. And then there's Satan working in your life. And apart from Christ, you don't have that other aspect where you're, that you're listening to God. And what Paul is saying is, look, apart from Christ, you are just a son of disobedience because all you can do is give in to your flesh and give in to the world's ways and give in to what Satan would have you do. But in Christ, we have something better. Say this with me. I was disobedient. Next, Paul says that, that we were deserving of wrath. Say, I was deserving of wrath. Because of the sin in our lives, because we were only giving into the flesh and the world and Satan, uh, Paul tells us, and, and the Bible tells us quite clearly, that we all deserved wrath, which is basically just angry punishment of God. We all deserve hell. That's what Paul is talking about. Every one of us deserved an eternity that could be described as second death, that could be described as hell, that could be described as God's angry punishment. And if you don't believe in God's angry punishment, then like me, you should just pick up in your own Bible reading time the book of Ezekiel, and, and then you'll go, oh wait, God does get angry at people, and he does punish people for their disobedience. It's a, it's a reality, and it's not a reality that is Christian's. And a lot of times I think Christians come across this way, and I'm sorry, but it's not something we like. It's not something that I'm like, sweet, those guys, if they disagree with me, are going to hell. This is awesome. It's just something we believe, and it's something that we trust God to be right in and not an angry, mean God, because the Bible declares over and over and over and over and over again that God is a God who is rich in love and slow to anger, but eventually that slowness is going to run out. And if you are apart from Christ, if you're not in Christ, then you are just somebody who is deserving of wrath. What Paul is saying is that who you were apart from Christ or who you are apart from Christ is a dead sinner deserving of God's wrath because you have missed every mark and you are disobedient to him. And then Paul says this thing. It's pretty awesome because he flips it and he reminds us how we get the new identity in Christ. And this is what he says in verses four through 10. But because... Of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you didn't notice, it's all about God's grace, mercy, kindness, love, gifts, goodness. It's all about what God has done in us. Klein Snodgrass, a commentary writer, wrote this. While each of these words carries a nuance different from others, their meanings shade into each other. They come as a cascade of expansive language attempting to describe the grandeur of God's care for and commitment to human beings expressed in his action in Jesus. I love that. 
a cascade of expansive language attempting to describe the grandeur of God's care and commitment to human beings. God looked at us in our old identities. He looked down. This is what the Bible just declares. I mean, this is kind of the point of the old Bible. He looked down and he said their identity is a sinner, a child of disobedience that deserves my wrath. And because they can do nothing to change that identity, I will step down into the world by my grace and my mercy and I will give them away into a new identity. I will give them a new hope. I will give them a a new existence. Say, I am alive. Paul says that we are now alive if we are in Christ. We've been made alive together with Christ, he says, and he actually uses the word with three times. And what Paul is saying is similar to what I described last week when I talked about having a friend from Canada versus going to Canada. Being in Christ isn't just having Christ come into you. It isn't just knowing a Canadian, in other words. It is actually moving to a different place. It is moving into somebody, and that is in Christ. And what Paul is showing us here is that our identities now in Christ are so wrapped up with him that when he got out of the grave, it was as if we also got out of the grave. We talked a lot about the resurrection for five weeks and what Paul is saying here is, 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 in essence, look, when Jesus got out of the grave, that made everybody else who would come into Christ also get out of the grave. You see how wrapped up in him that shows us to be? I mean, this isn't just like, yeah, I have a friend named Jesus. This isn't just like, I, I believe in somebody named Jesus. This is like, I am in Jesus. The language is so strong for Paul and so important for Paul that Paul says, already we have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. You go, well, I don't feel like that. You know, I mean, I have to go to work tomorrow and I know this guy and he doesn't seem very heavenly and uh, I'm on a diet right now and that wouldn't happen in heaven. You know, like that doesn't seem to be the case. And, and what, what Paul says is that if you are in Christ... When Jesus went up to heaven, when he ascended after his resurrection, then you are now seated there too. Your place in heaven is a present reality. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You see, Paul is declaring, look, you're already a citizen of another place. You may be alive on this earth, but you have been saved because you have already, in a spiritual sense, been placed in the heavenly realms. Will you say, I am saved? We are saved from the sin and the death and the wrath that Paul has already mentioned because we are now in Christ. And when Christ died, it was as if we had died. And when Christ rose again, it was as if we had been saved. And now when Christ went up in heaven, it's as if we are already sitting in the heavenly realms. You see, our identities are so wrapped up in Christ if we are in Christ that, that it's like Paul saying, look, these things that used to be have been erased because Jesus paid the penalty and and erased them for you. And he says that God will one day show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
It's incredible because right now in this moment we can experience the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. But what the Bible declares over and over and over again is that there is this have but don't have fully yet mentality that we should maintain. And we can see all this greatness of God, but we don't fully realize it until Jesus comes back and takes us home. Verses 8 and 9 are two of the most important in the entire Bible because they simply say you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn your new identity in Christ. It is not because of anything that you have done. You cannot boast about being a Christian. You can only boast that God loves you. You see the difference there? A lot of us boast, and I think in our mentalities and our thinking, about being Christians. Like, I'm better in some ways, than everybody else because I'm a Christian. And we look at our new identities and go, I'm loved and I'm called and I'm blameless and I'm forgiven and I have a new moral compass and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And so look, I'm cool because I'm a Christian. When really we should say, I'm a Christian because God is cool. And I have this new identity because of what God has done for me. Paul says you can't boast about this new identity because this new identity was only given to you because Jesus' amazing grace and wonderful kindness and crazy mercy. I mean, Paul already knows that we who are in Christ know the story, but maybe you're not in Christ, and let me give you the story. The story is that Jesus came out of heaven. I mean, think about that. He left heaven, and he came to earth, and he lived a sinless life. And at the end of that sinless life, he died the most brutal death. That's something that we celebrate when we celebrate communion. That, that Jesus was beaten and mocked. And he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. And he was whipped and he was scourged and he was beaten some more. And then he was nailed to a cross. But not only was it a bad physical death because lots of people died a bad physical death. But in the moments when he went to that cross, he had his back. Excuse me. God's back was turned on him. You see, he paid every ounce of every punishment that we deserved, all of the sin that we had in our lives, all of the missing the mark, all of the things that we had done against God, knowing that we shouldn't have done them, were paid for on that cross. And when Jesus hung there, our sins hung there too. And then after three days, he rode us again and he ascended into heaven so that we could be forgiven. And Paul looks at us and goes, look, you can have a new identity If you're not in Christ, but you're not going to earn it, you're not going to get it from working harder. If you want to be a person that has purpose and meaning and a person that understands their value and their worth and a person that that knows that you're lovable, it's not going to come from getting better at things. It's not going to come from your idols. It's not going to come from having a greater duty or having people say nice things about you or having more stuff. Or it's not going to come from the next thing in life that you're looking forward to. It's going to come by placing your faith in a Jesus who already died and rose again so that you could get a new identity. Our identities cannot be earned so that nobody can boast. Our identities are only found in the grace of Jesus. And he just adds one on, I mean, about our new identities. He he says, and I won't make you say this one out loud, that, that we are specially made for God's work if we are in Christ. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't it awesome that, that, that our identities cannot be earned from good work, but they have been given for good work? And God is up in heaven going, wait a minute, I created you and equipped you in a unique and special way, and I brought you into my fold because I want you to do something for me? The word for, uh, for creation there is design. 
And I think it's easy for us to look at things and go, wow, that was well designed. And whoever designed that had a purpose in mind. And whoever designed that really took care and did a really good job because they wanted to use it for this or for that and wanted to put it into use in this area or that area. And God looks at us and says, if you are in me, by my grace, then you are my special design for my special purpose. I love that identity. I love that identity. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. The last part that we'll look at today says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The point of this section is to say Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. There should be unity. And think about what that says about where we should find our identities. I mean, the Jews loathed the Gentiles. And most of the Gentiles didn't seem that fond of the Jews at the time in which this was written. And Paul looks at this audience and says, wait a minute, your identities are so wrapped up in Christ now that when you look at somebody, you should just see them as somebody that's connected to you. You've become one because both of you are in Christ. I think our country at least used to be a great example of this. In our country, in its early days, when people would come into America, they would become Americans. It was no longer this section and that section and this section and that section because people would take on the identity of American. And I think that that's what Paul is describing. If you have come into Christ and somebody else has come into Christ, it doesn't matter your your nationality or, or your socioeconomic status or where you grew up or what things you're into or, or what your personality is like. Your identity is now so wrapped up in Christ that you have unity with those other people. Now, this last part of this verse is especially great news if you're a, a Gentile And most of you are Gentiles because you're not Jews. That's what Gentile means. And what Paul says here is that you were a Gentile. And because you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, you were hopeless and you were far away from God. Gentile had negative connotations. It meant pagan and godless because the Jews looked around. They said, well, you're not a Jew and therefore you don't have the access to our God. You don't have the access to God that we have in the same way that we have And if you went back to the Jewish temple at this time, you could see, you could just walk up and see that the the Jews had greater access to God. And and on the outside of the temple would be a Gentile section. And and the closer you got to where where the presence of God was, uh, the more Jewish you had to be in order to get in there and really have access to God. And Paul looks at this 
audience in Ephesus who are primarily Gentiles and says, I want you to know that your old identity was one where you were far away from God because you didn't have access to him. But now, because of what Jesus did for you, because of Jesus' love for you, you can be near to God in Christ. He says you are a citizen of heaven. You are reconciled. You have access to God. And the nearness is so strong that near the end of this chapter, chapter uh, 2 in the book of Ephesians, at the end of it, he declares that we are now part of the household of God. I mean, think about the dichotomy because you don't think about it, right? If you've been a Christian a long time, then you just, you don't think about it. You're like, well, I have access to God. I can pray. Uh, That's no big deal. That's just something I grew up with. And and I think, to be honest, we kind of do a disservice because we tell everybody that they have access to God, but really, uh, our access to God is granted because God has forgiven our sins. We, we can expect our prayers to be answered because Jesus has died for our sins. And it's an amazing thing if you think about old identity versus new identity. Gentiles separated from God. The, the actual translation, without God in the world. Like we didn't have God. We couldn't pray to anybody. There wasn't a higher power to look forward, to look towards. We were just on our own. But then, when you moved into Christ, you moved into the house of God, you became part of the family of God, an incredible gift. You can just think this. This is what, I, this is what we should think. This is how we should think. This is what we should remember. I was a dead sinner deserving of hell, but in Christ all is well. When we start to think like I'm a Christian because I'm a Christian and I chose it and I did it, then we miss the excitement of our new identities. It just becomes who we are and we get a self-righteous attitude. But when we remember that it's all about what Jesus did for us, then we're excited to be these chosen, blameless, adopted, equipped people that God has turned us into. Your, your new identity is alive, saved, specially designed and near to God in chapter 2. Plus last week what we saw, blessed, chosen, blameless, adopted, redeemed, and rich. But we must remember that it is all because of the grace of God. And the only way we claim these new identities, the only way we reclaim the identity that we had before sin and death entered into the world and we started to feel the shame and despair when we looked inside is to place your faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. You can be something that is radically new. It's as if God has recreated you once you were in Christ. Isn't that a big deal? Because don't you, I just, me, you look back, those of you who are in Christ, and you feel so much shame still because you look back at the old life. Don't you? And you go, well, um, all that stuff I did, all that stuff. And, and I would feel better, but I've just done so much. And Paul in 1 Corinthians declares that we are a new creation. Jesus, in, in a couple of famous passages, says that when we become Christians, we are born again. We're born again. It's language that my Mormon friend doesn't really get. He doesn't understand it. And it's because it's just so different than how we often think, I think. We are 
new in Christ. And it should compel us to, to take hold of our new identity, not our old one. But we kind of muddle them together and go, well, I didn't really do a good enough job of earning this new identity. And so I kind of take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and what my parents said about me and the things I didn't have and, and, and kind of those sins that I committed and those things that I desire. And I'll kind of put them in here with Christ and remember that I'm loved and forgiven when I'm having a bad day and, and, and open the Bible and think about Jesus a little just to make myself feel better. But what Paul and Jesus have told us is when you move into Christ by becoming a Christian, it isn't by your own works. It isn't because you had the right identity in the first place. But it is, it is so radical that you are somebody else. And that old identity is dead. I mean, the Bible, that's another way that the Bible describes it. It's not even my note. We die to our old selves. And we rise again in Christ. And so we must take hold of and, and declare and reclaim these identities that we have in Jesus. Ephesians 1.13 describes how we have that identity, and I'll just read this, and I'm reading it for two purposes. If you're not in Christ, this is how you get in Christ. This is how you get a new identity. And if you are in Christ, this is all you needed to do. So you don't need to think, well, if I would have done this and this and this too, then maybe I could feel good about myself. No, you could feel good about yourself because Jesus grace for you. This is what it says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him. If you will believe that Jesus died according to scripture and rose again according to scripture for the forgiveness of your sin, then you can have a new identity in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, what a passage, Lord, just to remind us that it's not about what we do. And I, I know that there's a couple of types of people who are in front of me right now, God. There's, there's people who just think I'm not good enough to be saved. And the answer is that, that they aren't, Lord, and, but you love them anyway. Because, God, what we talked about last week, you see their love and their value and their worth. And you see that you created them well. And you want a relationship with them. And I pray that right now, God, you would, you would take that negative, that negative self-talk and they would take their eyes off of themselves. And they would place their eyes on you and your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your goodness, Lord. And the sacrifice that you made on the cross. And there's others, Lord, there's others of us here that struggle because we've had our new identity so long or because we look, God, and, and, and we think, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm better than other people. And I pray, God, that you would remind us in this moment that it's all about you and what you did for us. And Lord, I'll add a third group. There's people here that, that God, I think, are, are in you. They're in Christ, Lord, but yet they take their identity from everything else. And it's a waste of the sacrifice that you made so that they could be recreated, so that they could be born again, so that they could die to, them old, to their old selves and be risen again in the newness of life, Lord, with a new identity that is blessed and saved and forgiven and blameless and adopted and chosen and family. And I pray right now you would tear down, God, tear down their old identities and maybe that will hurt them 
But God, I pray that they would get built back up in the new identity, the identity that you've already given them. Lord, you know that driving this series, driving this series, Lord, is a belief that who we believe we are affects everything about our lives. And I pray that every person in this room would think right about themselves and see themselves the way that you see them. I pray these things in your name. Amen.